The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran chief air marshal lord dowding said to have masterminded the battle of britain and muriel the lady dowding founder of beauty without cruelty attended the coronation of queen elizabeth ii in the ermine robes required for those at their level of peerage but they were keeping a compassionate secret. Their robes were handmade of faux ermine, which must have been really hard to come by in 1953. Well, now, 66 years later, the queen herself has, at long last, sworn off wearing animal fur. Sometimes change happens slowly. Here at the Main Street Vegan Show, we aim to speed it up. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program, and today we are talking with Renaissance women. After the break, my conversation will be with Neva Atlas, prolific recipe creator and cookbook author who's also a visual artist, a feminist, and a literary maven. And right now, we'll be meeting with Elizabeth Alfano. She is a plant-based chef, host, coach, podcast host, and guest expert. On her Awesome Vegans podcast, she interviews the leaders of the plant-based revolution. And on her online cooking series, The Silver Chic Chef, she creates easy plant-based recipes for staying young. In addition, Elizabeth is a guest commentator and chef on radio and TV across the country as a plant-based food, news, and lifestyle expert. Welcome, Elizabeth Alfano. Hi, Victoria. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm actually going to talk with you sometime in the next few months in your um, silver sheet capacity because my next <laughs> book is going to be targeting people over 50 to make this change because we can't expect teenagers to change the planet all by themselves. Oh my gosh. Well, you and I should talk because I'm working on the same thing. So we should okay, cool. combine our great, great efforts and cut the work in half. <laughs> great minds work alike. So 2019, 
we know it was the year of the vegan. It's just about over now. Not everybody's vegan. But as a plant-based news and, and lifestyle expert for the media, what kind of recap can you give us? Well, first of all, I, I just want to say it's so very exciting. You mentioned the queen, but I think we can even expand on that in that uh, early November already has seen really powerhouse women take to advocating for veganism. So we had Oprah touting Susie Cameron's book, One Meal a Day, and encouraging her 42, almost 43 million followers on Twitter that they should all, hey, think about one meal a day as a start to going plant-based. And then you had powerhouses Greta Thunberg and Ellen together, both talking about what people can do for the planet. And of course, that included veganism. And then you have the queen and then you and me. <laughs> so it's been really a month for women to take hold. But I think what's very interesting, if you looked at the beginning of this year, you know, I think it was something like one in four millennials was said to be including plants into their diet. And that comes from Forbes, I believe. Now, not just 10 months later, uh, a study from Food Navigator that was reported on by Food Navigator and also by Forbes says that 60% of millennials now work in plants to their diet and 63% of them realize that their dietary choices have an impact on the environment. So I think you're seeing rapid change and just going from 25% to give or take 60% in 10 months is incredible. That is incredible. I love it. What else and, have you seen this year? Well, you know, it's not just millennials, although, oh gosh, I do love them, but it's <laughs> not just millennials. Um, when we look at the plant based expectations in the meat market in terms of money. I mean, of course, the IPO of the century, right? Not of the century, but, you know, of the last 10 years, uh, Beyond Meat was the most uh, successful IPO since 2008. And it had that skyrocketing to the top. Um, you know, I think at some point it was $240 a share. And now yes, it's I remember low. that day. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's much lower now, but still, I mean, when you compare it to things like Uber, when they had an IPO, they've not had that kind of success. So still wildly successful. But it's not just Beyond Meat, which has helped us so much because the media, the financial media, but not just the financial media, really rode that wave of excitement about plant-based and made it something that it's pretty mainstream, and it's all coming from the people I love the most, maybe even more than millennials, flexitarians. So the meat eater that says, yeah, okay, I get it. I finally, I've heard it enough. It's the straw that finally resonates. My doctor's been telling me for years, I'm going to do it. I'm going to cut out some meat, and I'm going to work in some vegetables. And that transition is so critically important. And what that means in terms of money is that what used to be you know, in the beginning of the year, the Good Food Institute was saying something like, okay, the plant-based food business is going to be about $12 billion. Now they're saying it's going to be 240 by 2040. So the expectations for flexitarians, basically, to get with the program increases every month. Yes, indeed. And, and I just think as more of us are out there talking and, and seeming normal. I mean, I remember when people who did this were a little bit crunchy and we wore those Chinese canvas Mary Jane shoes. 
<laughs> those days are over. We, oh my we gosh. Are, we are the mainstream. So looking ahead, thanks for that recap of the year almost over, but what are your predictions for 2020? Well, I really think you're going to see a change in the meat case. So as you probably know, companies like Cargill and Maple Leaf, both meat companies essentially, have changed their name to protein companies. They no longer want to be associated with just meat. Ultimately, these folks want to make money and whatever sells makes money they're willing to do. I think you're going to see that carry over into the supermarket and the entire real estate of the supermarket is going to change. And you're going to see the meat case go from a meat case to a protein case. And people are going to be able to pick their protein, plant-based or animal-based. It's going to be side by side and people are going to be able to see for themselves what kind of protein they want to put in their body. So that's my, my big um, prediction really. But I think also, it's hard to use the word inevitable. And I don't like to do that because, you know, I don't want to start counting blessings before we have them in full. But the basic math is not fungible anymore for meat and dairy. So when you have a planet that's going from 7 billion people to 10 billion people, but you're not getting more land and you're not getting more water, you have to be a lot smarter with your resources. And as we know, meat in particular is a very bad business equation. The best you'll ever get, something that no business person would ever sign up for, is nine calories goes into a chicken to give you one calorie back. And it's something like 35 to one for beef. These are just horrible numbers. So just as we let go of the computer, sorry, we let go of the typewriter so that we could have a computer. We let go of the horse and buggy so that we could have a car. These were, we did this not because we shunned tradition, but because it's more efficient. And that's really the way of the future. Meat and dairy is just too efficient to continue. Mm -hmm. Got it. Inefficient, I believe you meant to say. Oh gosh, inefficient. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes, Just thank to you. be clear. So I want to ask Elizabeth that your opinion on the the protein case, because when I'm seeing that 2020 meat case, it's going to have animal meat. It's going to have plant-based meat. Is that still going to confuse people that wonderful foods like beans and leafy greens aren't also sources of protein? I'm sorry, did, did you say our sources of protein? Well, that it, I think that it, I'm just wondering if the whole what used to be the meat counter becomes the protein counter and it's meat and plant-based items that look and taste like meat, are people still going to not get it that they could avoid that counter completely and just eat beans and greens and wonderful whole foods and get plenty of protein that way? My opinion is no. I think it's not going to confuse people. I think it's finally going to educate people. I mean, look, the average person is so bombarded by, I will say, my own two cents intentionally, conflicting viewpoints from the medical world. I mean, you just tune it out. Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? No, it's good. No, it's bad. I mean, who can keep up I think right when you're at the grocery stores, when you make the majority of your decisions and then the one day you see your doctor a year. So I think seeing plant-based protein next to meat is going to educate people for the first time that, oh, hey, beans and plants actually have protein. 
why didn't anybody tell me? Because most people think it still only comes from me, which is completely mm-hmm. incorrect. Yes. This is all good. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving the calendar as it's going forward. So you know, we're heading into the holidays. And I know that in addition to all, all of this media work that you do, you are also a pretty amazing chef. So give us some of the cooking uh, tips for staying plant-based over the holidays. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, Thanksgiving, everybody. It's always been about vegetables. It always has been sweet potatoes and Brussels sprouts. And and for me, you know, three mushroom risotto. Of course, I use dairy-free items. Um, You know, pumpkin pie, apple pie, pecan pie. I have a sweet tooth. Uh, You know, so it's always been about the vegetables. So, you know, just keep it about the vegetables. I do a great asparagus purple potato casserole that I love. Uh, And then I just created last week a stuffed turkey breast that is, of course, all plant-based. So your options are all over the map, particularly for Thanksgiving. Now for, and I'll just, you know, shameless plug, if you are interested in cooking and you've got, you know, 12 people coming over to your house, I hope you'll hit up my website, elizabethalfano.com, because all the recipes that I'm mentioning now are there. Um, But as we head into Christmas, I have for the longest time done, I'm Sicilian, of course, so maybe I'm biased, but I've done lasagna, a plant-based lasagna for Christmas. And it's always been a great hit. And when I think of all the marbly fat hams that are basically heart attacks on a plate. Replace that with a plant-based lasagna. I also do, again, I'm Italian, but this is for everybody. Do stuffed peppers. Get red peppers and green peppers. And it's so sweet for Christmas. And you stuff the peppers with, again, follow my recipe, but um, stuff it with a bunch of mushrooms and tempeh and tomatoes and onions and spices. I mean, the way, the reason meat tastes the way it tastes is because of the spices. So do your heart a favor and uh, make it to the new year with plant-based recipes. I love it. I love it. And anybody also can go to Elizabeth's Facebook page, Awesome Vegans, Elizabeth Alfano. And you can also find out information about her um, plant-based cooking for the holidays course. So that sounds really great for anybody that is, uh, you know, I think sometimes we, we do so well during the year and then it's like, oh my gosh, I have to please the relatives. And, and it becomes a little onerous. But I think you get a good course under your belt, some wonderful recipes, and then you just go forward with um, the joy of the season. Yes. Isn't that true? I'll just do a shout out. That class is online. So it's a small, intimate class. You can sign up and register and um, you can do it from anywhere. So you don't have to be where I am. You can be anywhere around the world. Well, wonderful. So let's look about somebody who's just beginning. What are your tips for starting out? Food is joy. Food is love. Again, I'm Sicilian, but it is a major part of my life and an enormous source of joy for me. So don't overthink it. No one's perfect. Don't set your expectations for perfection. You don't do that in any other area of your life. So don't kill yourself here. Just have fun with it and don't be afraid to try it. So much of it is just giving it a try. So let all that 
excess thoughts swirling around in your head, just stop that and have a good time. Um, I'm sorry to go back to classes, but I think this is really an important one. I also do a coaching class. It's really fun and encouraging and just to get over some of the mental hurdles because there need not be any. You know, in the 70s, you mentioned crunchy granola stuff in the 70s. Oh, have we left that in the dust? In the 70s, we hadn't nailed down taste. We got taste now. We got taste in spades. So, you know, it's going to taste great. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be a lot easier on your wallet because let's face it, being sick is super expensive. It's better for the planet and it's better for animals. So you just got win, win, win all over the place. We do indeed. And I love your energy about all of this. So... On your podcast, you know, like me, it is such an incredible joy to interview these people who are major movers and shakers, not only in our movement, but also in the outer world and in business and in entertainment. So of all the people that you have interviewed since you've been doing your program, which was the most impactful for you and your listeners? Oh, gosh, this is always tricky because each one of them is such a powerhouse in their own right. But I'll, I'll mention a few here. So can I say that I was just starstruck to be interviewing Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins? You can that, say that. <laughs> most people don't know he's vegan. And that's really what I like to do with my podcast is I do do animal rights folks because I, I love them and they move the needle. And I'm so grateful because it is upon their work that we build. But it my podcast is meant for the folks who are thinking about going vegan and they really like Billy Corgan, for example, or Moby, or they follow Ethan Brown of Beyond Meat and they're like, well, that guy's pretty normal. I should just maybe try it because they're doing it, you know? So um, I like to get these mainstream people and not a lot of people know that Billy Corgan Smashing Pumpkins is vegan. And I was just so over the moon that he said yes, that I think that was impactful for me for like the giddiness of it. But um, John Sally, four time NBA champ, what I, he just gave something great. That is a nugget. I think anyone can take away with them, which is everyone's worried about where their protein comes from. But if you don't figure out where your fiber comes from, you're in trouble. Now this guy's six foot seven, you know, so I'm mm -hmm. five two. Maybe people aren't listening to me about protein, but you got to hear it from him. He's six, seven. And he makes a great point. You know, most people don't realize that protein comes from other things than meat, but more importantly, meat doesn't have fiber. You can't have a healthy diet without fiber. So I love that this huge sports sports athlete says that. And then on a very inspirational note, Again, I don't interview very many animal rights folks, but I did interview Josh Balk of the Humane Society. And he said something that I am reminded of all the time, particularly right now. You turn on the TV and you think, oh my God, everyone to the left is crazy. Everyone to the right is crazy. Like everyone is crazy. And then you step back and you think, is there anything we agree on? And usually most people come out to vote for animals. If that bill can get onto the agenda for animals, most people, Republican or Democrat, do vote for animals, even if it means a little bit more money 
in the end, most people vote against factory farming when they have the option. Obviously, I'm not talking about hunting and fishing or the other things, but um, the basic concept of factory farming, most people vote against it. And so as you see now, when the House and the Senate came together for the Pact Against Animal Cruelty and Treatment that is now on the senator's, uh, on the president's desk, I am reminded that, oh my gosh, for animals, everybody puts it aside and they come together. That's very inspiring. Oh my gosh, I love Isn't that. It? Yeah, yes, I'm going to hold too. hold on to that one. Oh. So, Elizabeth, one of the things that is really important to me is that when people become vegan, they get excited about this. They want to do something professional. They want to do something more with it than just eat the food and you know <laughs> live. And I love that you have a really stunning media background. You didn't just wake up as a vegan one day and decide you're going to do vegan media. You're following through with what you already did. And I believe that everybody has things to build on. So just give us a little bit of history of you. What did you do before you were doing the um, Awesome Vegans? Sure. I, I'm happy to do that. And I'll just kind of reiterate what you said. I think this is so true for everyone. When your passion meets your skill set, I call it the bingo effect. You mm -hmm. are 150% of yourself. You are so aligned. You're more powerful than you've ever been. So I tried to find that sweet spot, which I think we all do. I didn't want to reinvent the wheel and do stuff for veganism that wasn't natural to me. I wanted to take where I was already strong and really combine it with my passion. So that's journalism. And I had, I'm from Chicago originally. I had a television show on PBS, our PBS in Chicago. Uh, that was my first endeavor. And it included a lot of chefs. It wasn't just a food show, but it included a lot of food. And then my next show was sort of at the dawn of live streaming. It was a live stream event, live event that took place over food. I would interview celebrities over food and we would feed the whole studio audience and, and uh, live stream it. And then I would have these dinner with these celebs, which was so super fun. But after a while, I thought, I don't want to just interview celebs. I'm either interviewing people who are making a difference for people, the planet and animals or I'm not doing it. And that's when I decided to shift over my, my journalism to basically veganism, because veganism, as we know, is for the people, the planet, and animals. Amen. And you're also one of um, the Jane Unchained reporters. Oh, sure I am. Sure I am. In fact, I'm going to see her in about a half an hour. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yes. I will give her my yes. best. She's, oh, I sure will. Yeah, Jane Velez Mitchell. She's quite a powerhouse. She could bottle that energy, we'd probably save the planet even before 2026. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so right. I just want to do give a shout out for Jane and Jane Unchained. Jane Velez Mitchell is living the bingo effect of putting her passion where her skill set is. And she individually has done so much to move the needle. I deeply appreciate her. Yeah, she, she has indeed. So before I ask you What's the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew 10 years oh, ago? Yes. <laughs> I, I just want to ask if, if you have some some suggestions. Most of my listeners are vegan or, or very close to it. And they want to do more. Just give us some tips for how we can go from, yeah, I'm doing this and I want to help. But, you know, I have two jobs and a family. So what's your thought? Well, 
it's going to sound a little cliche, but kind of stick with me for a second. So on my podcast, I was interviewing another, you know, kernel of nugget that stayed with me, Kathy Freston, the famous author, and I were chatting. And we really came together and said, the best thing you can do for veganism is live your best life because you move through life as a walking example all the time to your kids, your family, but also the people in your office, the people on the basketball court. I can't tell you how many people, before I really started pushing the journalism, how many people said to me on Facebook, you know, I'm a meat eater, but what you're saying really makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm going to, you know, try meatless Mondays or, and I get this like a couple times a week now, granted I've been at it for several years, but So you just never know who's watching. You never know who's looking. You never know who's thinking in the back of their head. 2020 New Year's resolutions. I should get with the program or my doctor said this. You don't know who's ready and open. So you just be the best example of you you can be. And if that's an accountant who works nine to five and then goes home to two kids and mows the lawn, that's okay. Your neighbors see. Your neighbors see how healthy you are as a vegan. Your neighbors see how happy you are as a vegan. Be your upbeat, happy, positive, strong self. Yay. And you obviously do that. We've never <laughs> met before, but I can feel that from you just through your, your wonderful Aww. voice and your uh, delightful, upbeat attitude. <laughs> what, what do you know now? Now, this is I, your last question on your podcast, and you like to be asked it as well. What do you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? We've got a minute and a half. Yes, I love this question. I ask it every podcast. And my answer is, I wish I had known that I have to advocate for myself. I know now that no one doctor, no USDA recommendation, no one's going to fix it or figure it out for me. You have to do the work, research what you need, and you must advocate for yourself. I've been so positive this whole podcast, and I want to keep that note. So I'm not going to say that people don't have your best interests at heart, particularly in government, but there's a chance maybe that people don't have your best interests at heart, particularly in government. So please advocate for yourselves. Do what is best for you and your family. I wholeheartedly believe that that will be veganism, but I'm not here to tell you that. Find it out for yourself find that truth and you must follow what is best for you. Beautiful. The trust stops here. (laughs) Love it. I like it. Oh my gosh. Well, Victoria, this has been so much fun and I do hope that we'll collaborate in the future because I think that you and I probably have a lot in common. So I I think we do. Even Chicago, I spent 12 amazing years of my life in Chicago. My daughter was born there. So always have, um, a soft spot for the city by the lake. Oh my gosh, such a beautiful city. Absolutely. And it's a growing vegan city, I have to say. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm sure that it is. They all are. My hometown right. of Kansas City, Missouri, has yes. the only Cafe Gratitude outside California. Oh, Just like, it. who knew that? But <laughs> it's what we've got. It's wonderful. Elizabeth, I know you have another interview coming right up. So uh, rush off to that. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All the best. And you can find Elizabeth, E-L-Y-S-A-B-E-T-H, Alfano, on Twitter and on Instagram at Elizabeth Alfano. We'll put all of her URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Stay with us. Experience the difference. 
Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. What is your holiday coping strategy? Well, that is the topic of this week's blog at MainStreetVegan.net. It's written by Maureen Tiersen, a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator from Rochester, New York. She's got some great ideas if you need some coping tips for the holiday season. So do take a look at that, MainStreetVegan.net, and while you're there, check out Main Street Vegan Academy. Perhaps being a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator is in your future. And what we offer is an absolutely magical six-day course in New York City, arguably Disneyland for vegans, with an incredible faculty of um, cardiologists, fashion designers, animal rights attorneys, amazing people who know their stuff and who can really help you to get to the next level with your vegan outreach and uh, maybe a whole new profession that has happened. Check it out. So it's always wonderful for me when I can bring onto the program somebody that I have known for a really long time (laughs) and somebody that I admire a lot and am very proud and grateful to have as a friend. And this is one of those times because my next guest is Nava Atlas. Nava is the author of many, (laughs) very prolific, many, many best-selling vegan and vegetarian cookbooks, including Wild About Greens, Vegan Holiday Kitchen, and her latest, Five ingredient vegan. Now, I said when I introduced both of these ladies today that we're going to be talking with Renaissance women, and Nava is absolutely that because she's also a visual artist and she creates books on women's issues. And she runs two websites, Vegan Atlas and the Literary Ladies Guide. Welcome, vegan and literary and artistic Nava Atlas. Hi, Victoria. All of what you said kind of right back to you. You're also prolific and a Renaissance woman. So the admiration flows both ways. Oh, bless your heart. You know, I always think of the lunch that we had. I don't think I'd even moved to New York yet. This was probably in the late 90s. And there used to be a really big vegan Asian restaurant in the Times Square area. And I just remember, I remember feeling like I had met a sister that day. Oh, well, I remember you and I remember the lunch, but I, I mean, I don't remember the food. So definitely you were the <laughs> one who stood out to me then. But yeah, I think it's a place that's no longer there. Yeah, it's no longer there, but, but it's standing, certainly been right? replaced After by probably years? 50 others. You know, it's kind of funny to think about early adapters and these, these places that managed to survive through, through the 80s and the 90s when being vegan was just kind of, huh? <laughs> and they, you know, 
went, went the way that many things go, but certainly so much else is happening. So give us a little history, Nava. You started on this way of life quite a while ago. What was your trigger? Well, my trigger was growing up with a mom who wasn't a particularly good cook. I mean, she was, bless her heart, she was, you know, that's very typical, heavy Eastern uh, European Jewish cooking. And, you know, even as a child, I did not like looking at the meat on my plate. I didn't have any frame of reference. I didn't say to myself, oh, you know, that was an animal. It was just, you know, being also a very visual person, I didn't like looking at it, and I didn't know why, and it caused a lot of fights and a lot of tears. So when I became a teenager, the first thing I asked my mom was whether I could start cooking so I could disguise it. And she said, oh, all right, very reluctantly. And my brother was sort of on the same page as me, even though he was 10 years older. And a couple of years later, when I was 16, I was thinking, why do I need to do this at all? I declared myself a vegetarian. I Honestly, I don't know where I got the idea. It was really very early on. The word vegan wasn't in the atmosphere at all. But at first, my family was really mad at me. And my mom said, well, if you want to be a vegetarian, I'm not going to cook two meals. You'll have to cook for yourself. So that totally backfired because I started to cook for myself. And back then, I mean, this is going to really date me, but this I'm talking about in the 70s, and we didn't really have the kind of ingredients we have today. A health food store was really more a vitamin shop with, you know, a lot of brown lentils and brown rice and you know brown rice and brown everything but i just fell in love with it i fell in love with the process the foods and eventually my family came around and then everybody wanted what i was having even though it wasn't all that appealing uh fast forward a few more years i went through college as a you know very poor vegetarian <laughs> and i married right out of college and my husband who i'm still married to today really wanted to be a vegetarian but he wasn't at all a cook and he started to kind of nag me write down what you made tonight so you can make it again it was so good and before long I had amassed a bunch of recipes I was working as a freelance illustrator and graphic designer and eventually I put those skills together to create my first book Vegetariana which was published in 1984 and back then it was me and Molly Katzen and Anna Thomas and when I'm talking about me, I, I really did not feel like I was in the same league as them at all. I was very shy, really insecure, and I really approached this whole notion really just as a creative artist. But the book did very well right out of the gate, and it really set me on this unexpected path in my life as a then vegetarian cookbook author. And then we can talk about a little bit more how that changed along the way. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how that changed along the way. Well, we we had kids. We had two children, and we decided to raise them vegetarian. But, and again, when we did that, the word vegan was still not quite in the atmosphere yet. And it really was even before the age where everybody had their own laptop, and you can go on Google and find things out. We told our kids that, we don't eat our animal friends. And, you know, as small children, they accepted that. Then we told them, if you go to somebody's house and you're interested and you want to try something, you know, that's up to you because we didn't want meat to become like a forbidden fruit. 
But they looked at us like, well, you know, you just explained why we don't eat our animal friends. So, no, they, they, didn't, they never took that bait at all. So my kids are now not kids anymore, but neither of them have ever tasted meat or fish. And they're vegans. They're still uh, very devout like their mom. <laughs> um, sometime around when they were 10 and 12, then, you know, we started to have Google and the Internet and starting to find out some really funky things about the dairy industry. And, you know, like all other people and parents, I feel like I was a product of a certain amount of, um, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better word, propaganda. And I thought, well, how could I really not have my kids eat uh, dairy or drink milk? So I thought maybe if we go to a local dairy farm and get our products locally, I'll feel better about it. So we gathered them up and did a family outing to a small dairy farm where you see the black and white spotted cows in the meadow when they seemed very happy. And the farmer took us on a little tour and he said, well, this is where we inseminate the cows very proudly. And then suddenly I saw these crates a little bit in the distance with the calves in them. I said, well, what about those? He said, oh, they're going to become veal. And that was the moment for me. I thought, you know, I'm seeing it with my eyes. I'm right in front of it. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to do this. But it was my son, Evan, who was at the time 10 years old, who declared first. And I'll always be very proud of him for that. It was the very next day. He, he came home from camp with his rice cheese sandwich. He had thought it was regular cheese. And he said, why didn't you eat this? And he said, because now I'm a vegan. And I said, first of all, it's rice cheese. But second of all, couldn't you have been, become a vegan after lunch? But that was it. Once <laughs> I decided. And I thought, listen, you know, if a 10-year-old can have that much conviction, then I can too. Oh, I we love that. Within a few I, days. I, it's so absolutely beautiful. It's the, the stories are well, so beautiful. You know, and I think lots of people nowadays don't understand why anybody was vegetarian. It's like, well, don't you know it's all one industry? Well, you know, we didn't quite know, but no, we now didn't we quite do. know. And these are things that really were harder, much, much harder to find back then. It's not like this was in the dark ages, but really before you could just get online and find out these things, it was hard to find out. And it was not like the dairy industry or the meat industry was exactly advertising these facts that they didn't want people to know. Yes. Well, I, I love your story. I, I love your path. And I love that it has culminated as of today with a five ingredient vegan. And even that has some history back to your vegetarian days. Tell us that story. Well, this book is not a revised edition, but it's the same concept as a book that I did in 2001 called the vegetarian five ingredient gourmet and i always say the word gourmet was used very very loosely because if you have a book that has tofu hot dogs in it it's not a gourmet cookbook <laughs> it was also a, the a vegetarian five ingredient gourmet was already when we were starting to make that transition so there were a lot of vegan options in it but it was a really plain book it had a very kind of meh cover there was one color inside there's no pictures at all but the book did very, very well because it, I think at the end of the day, and I mean that both as the expression and literally, people need simple meals. People need something they can come home and not look at a list of, you know, 
I, I would say there's a lot of beautiful and wonderful and delicious cookbooks, but it's 7 o'clock at night. You don't want to deal with 30 ingredients, literally. So the Oh, I know. I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I see I have three cookbook shelves, and it's hard to keep it down to three because I get a lot of cookbooks for doing this show. <laughs> but the ones on top are the simple ones, and those are the ones I reach for. And the ones on the second shelf are more what I might look at every now and then for a special occasion. And the ones on the third shelves are just kind of like coffee table books. They're gorgeous, but <laughs> they, right. they have never had any food spilled on them because it's just too complicated. So it guess is. where I Five think, Ingredient you know, Vegan is? <laughs> Top shelf. Right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of talks for this book, which has been very gratifying. And a lot of the talks are at libraries, which are my favorite places to speak. And I've really been speaking to the unconverted, not hostile, but simply unconverted. And people who come and they want to learn. And they really are craving more information on, um, you know, the older generation really is looking at it from the health perspective. And young people, I think, really look at it more from the ethical I'm not, I'm not painting this with a broad brush. I'm talking about my particular audiences because I know that for you and me, the primary motivation is the animals. But when people are coming to these library talks, they really want to know about the food and maybe they've had some health issues and their doctors amazingly have said, you know, you have to adopt a more plant-based diet. And people are just delighted to learn about this and they're much more welcoming when they know that they can just get home and just make something within 20 minutes. What's your favorite recipe in the book? Well, um, I don't think it's my... Oh, no, I do have a favorite. But I was going to say, the, the one that I demonstrate quite a bit that seems to be people's favorite, and I think you might have run this one on Main Street Vegan, is the chickpea masala. So oh, basically yes. it's chickpeas, spinach, and we'll talk about the Indian simmer sauce because that's life-changing. Uh scallions and fresh tomatoes and I tell people if this takes you 10 minutes to make you're moving way too slowly and it just seems to be a big hit uh, both in, in my demos and people are a few people have run it on their websites my personal favorite is the recipe I think I make most often is my tofuna salad and basically it's three ingredients it's baked tofu I like the soy boy brand, but other brands could be used. Vegan mayo, um, celery, and then two optional ingredients, scallions and nutritional yeast. Now, I'm going next door for dinner tonight to neighbors, and the man said that he has adopted that for his favorite lunch. This is not a vegetarian or a vegan. So I thought, oh, you know, that really, that just, was, you know, really warmed my heart. Not only that, he went one better than me. He said he likes to make his own baked tofu. And he said he shares it with his colleagues, that they want to know how to make it. So I thought, here's something that people replace tuna salad with and chicken salad with. So uh, less animals harmed in the, pro in the process. So that was really Absolutely. Well, I'm going to have to make that. I, have, I haven't made that one, but my husband really missed all those kind of tuna chicken turkey salad things. He never told me that until once I brought some home from a natural food store that was just packaged. It wasn't all that great, but 
he thought it was the nectar of the gods because he, that was something that he'd really missed. And so I've tried lots of these. I've done one based on um, sunflower seeds. I've done several based on um, garbanzos. But wow, three ingredients and <laughs> a new base. That's going to be great. Yeah. So I think the baked you. tofu, I think, is is the magic ingredient. Then, and, and you know, uh, the vegan mayonnaise together. And mm-hmm. I make this also when people come for lunch or brunch, and everybody just kind of breathes it in. And once I did it at a demo years ago already, because I've been schlepping this recipe around for a long time. People said, "Oh, you should go into business and make this. You'll make a lot of money." I said, "Listen, dude, there's three ingredients. You can do this at home." <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it really takes uh, an effort to convince people. These things are really so easy, and they see once they try it, it becomes a, a standard in their home. Yes, yes. Well, let let's go back to this life-changing sauce. <laughs> I'm all about oh, yeah. life-changing options. The Indian simmer sauce. So for me in the past, because people don't believe it because I've written so many cookbooks, I'm kind of a lazy cook. So the idea of taking all these spices and grinding them and roasting them, I just felt like I, I just can't deal with it. And so what I, what would I do? I would just, you know, dump curry powder and cumin and something and call it a curry. And that really doesn't cut it. So these Indian simmer sauces, there's a brand that's made locally in my area that's amazing, Maya Kamal. But you can find them in, now in the Asian food section at just about any supermarket. And you just have to make sure and read the label because some do have dairy and others are based more on either tomato or tomato and coconut. So those are the kind I get, like Jalfrezi. And honestly, whatever you pour them onto immediately takes on the flavor of something you get at the greatest Indian restaurant. And you just feel so brilliant. And it really, it takes absolutely no effort. And it has, what, 15, 20 ingredients in it. So I feel like these sauces are made to be used. Why buy those, you know, 10, 15, 20 ingredients, which are more expensive? You start opening jars and cans and not using it all, then they go to waste. You know, instead you you use the sauce, you have more time to cut fresh ingredients, which people also say, oh, you know, it's 7 o'clock, I don't feel like chopping. So I really was very mindful of that in this book is to keep the chopping to a minimum. But when you don't have to deal with a lot of other ingredients, if you have to do a tiny bit of chopping, it doesn't seem so onerous. But, yeah, I love the simmer sauces. I just feel like they have been life-changing. Ah. And I love how you, have you think. Tried, have you tried them yet? No, I haven't. Oh. And, oh. But well, I will really like need to read the labels because I'm doing the whole thing, you know, the oil-free nutritarian thing at this point in my life. So mm-hmm. I would definitely not be doing the coconut. So uh, we'll see if I can find something life-changing that meets that criteria and if not i guess i'll just have to learn how to do it from 15 ingredients <laughs> well uh, check out gel Frazy. i feel like that might be the one for you i don't know that these sauces really have oil okay so cool. I, it's, it's coconut but it's coconut milk not coconut oil so you can, can you not do that either well i prefer not to my family oh. died of heart disease back as far as i can tell to the stone age oh, wow and some of them very young, and others live to be old, but the last 15, 20 years of their lives were not 
good years. And so Mm -hmm. I just decided, you know, you've been around this for so long. You've talked with all these doctors. You have all this information. What are you hanging on to? And I think part of, of it was that in the vegan world, you know, we want to just eat everything that's vegan because my goal in life is to help bring about a vegan world. And so, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that just has all these dietary restrictions and people roll their eyes. But on the other hand, I want to live a long time and and live well as long as I'm here. So I'm doing what appears to be the gold standard from the science that we have right now. And we'll see. Ask me in 20 years how it went. I'll call you in 20 years. But yeah, make a, make a note. Oil. People, people do ask, is, is this book have oil-free options? Well, what I say is we have the only optional ingredients here are salt, pepper, and olive oil, because I feel like some people like a little olive oil, but people who do oil-free, they know what to do. They know what to substitute yes. it with, either water or broth. So it's uh, oh yeah, it, I think it, this will work for everybody. It's a wonderful book, and I've 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 been, done several of the recipes, and I didn't feel like I had to do a lot of of revising. So what oh, is good. the number one question, Nava? I mean, you you have presented <laughs> maybe more than any cookbook author I've ever had on the show because you've certainly been a- around for such a long time. So you do these talks, you do these demos. What is the number one question people ask you? Well, maybe you wouldn't believe it, but maybe you do believe it. People are still asking, how do you get your protein after all this, <laughs> all this time? But, you know, us vegans, we've been you know, talking about that and protein and rolling our eyes. But I feel like people are there to learn and they don't want to you know, kind of make fun of them for it. So I feel like I, I'd like to answer that in a very sincere fashion. And they're there to learn. And so I tell them, you know, so, you know, we go, can go through the list of beans and legumes, lentils, grains, nuts and seeds, the soy products, seitan, and that everything else has a little bit of protein. I, you know, I think I just read a statistic where, you know, they're, they're calling uh, jackfruit a, a, a meat substitute, but it has hardly any protein in it. So I think a cup of broccoli actually has more protein than, than jackfruit, oh. for example. Yeah, so, leafy greens are full of protein. When right, when I exactly. was trying to be raw, which was wonderful, I felt amazing. But then with the first cold blast of autumn, I wasn't raw any longer. Uh, but I did learn that dark leafy greens per calorie have more protein than beef. They just don't have a lot of calories. Right. Oh, and speaking of leafy greens, I also read that lightly cooking them actually makes the nutrients in them a little bit more available. So we should not feel bad about not eating them raw. They're more digestible Good. and the nutrients are you know, more bioavailable anyway. Right. So and and you should do. know because you also wrote another one of my top shelf cookbooks, which is Wild About Greens. So anybody listening that is thinking, oh, gosh, I know greens are so good for you, but uh, uh-uh. <laughs> get yourself a <laughs> copy of Wild About Greens and you'll change your mind about a whole color. <laughs> right. A whole group of foods that we all need to eat more of. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to think the dark leafy greens were scary. I mean, I, I was vegan. I was, you know, the brown food vegan, like we all were back then. And I would go into the 
the market and I would see some of these leaves just look so big. They were just like, what is this, some kind of tropical palm? I mean, I just, I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, collard but greens. I, I mean, collard greens are so good. And I, I really try to also, once in a while, because it gets a little complicated, I really like to show how easy it is to fix collard greens. And they're, they're so good for us. And also, they don't look like it, but they have a lot of calcium. Yes. Probably very available calcium. Collard greens are amazing. So, yeah. I like to just wrap them around um, a little bit of uh, Kite Hill cream cheese, which is just made from almond milk and acidophilus and a little salt. It <laughs> doesn't have oil. Oh, that um, so but good. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. So we discovered well, what I like to do with collard greens is, is cut them off the stems and then you stack them up a few at a time, roll them up like a cigar and then slice them and they become sort of like long noodles and then stir fry them like that. And it, it just cooks so quickly and they're so good mm -hmm. that way. Wonderful. And it, it, that's one of my favorite books, Wild About Greens. In our last two minutes, <laughs> what changes have you seen? We were talking about this with the previous guests. What have you seen in the last 10 years, in the last five years? I feel like some, there was times in the past where I felt very discouraged. You know, you and I have been slogging away at this for a really long time and feeling like, you know, nothing's really changing. And then that started to shift, I would say, more so in the last five years where the word vegan was, you were not, it, I mean, listen, when we first started out, even being a vegetarian was a weirdo. But now being vegan is very cool. It's very mainstream. It's no matter where you go, there's so many vegan options. People broadcast it proudly. Um, for example, my husband is in Vietnam right now. He was there three years ago. He said there are so many more vegan places now just three years later than there were th just three years ago. I was in Iceland last summer. I was worried, am I going to be able to eat anything here? Well, as it turns out, it's a really, really very vegan-friendly place. And again, people broadcast that they have a placard in front of the cafe, you know, with their vegan options, They're sort of luring people in with that rather than just hiding it on a menu. So I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm really discouraged about a lot of things right now, but I'm really very encouraged about the way the vegan movement is going. Well, I'm encouraged too, and so encouraged to know you. Everybody, be happy, be healthy, be blessed, you be there. Bye. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.